Good morning. Well, I'd like to sort of continue with the thought that Osh left us with uh, in Chuck Swindoll's devotional with uh, just a statement, there must be something more. Isn't that really the universal uh, expression of the heart of men, mankind throughout uh, all cultures and throughout human history? Um, why do men keep searching? Uh, why do men keep looking for something beyond their grasp? What is it from Plato to uh, to us today where we're, we're looking to beyond what we can see. We're looking for something beyond our grasp. We have a, a sense, we know it's there, and we keep reaching out to try to find it. Why is there this universal conviction that we haven't arrived, uh, that there's more to being alive, and it's beyond our current experience? You know, that's true of atheistic scientists as well. You, you get these guys who deny the existence of God, yet they are are looking out into the cosmos, trying to discover the unifying principle of all things. And the most recent is string theory. They're trying to find this idea of what harmonizes everything, that which is beyond their grasp to, to comprehend. And we, even as theological people, as theists who believe in God, we're looking out to grab a hold of the hand of the Almighty. Uh, we're aware of that divide, that separation, that gulf of ignorance between us and the unknown. And all men of all ideologies and, cu and cultures throughout history have re been reaching for that great beyond, trying to find God or something or some principle of the infinite um, that we know must exist, but we have been separate from. One of the ways men have been expressing this uh, quest for the unknown is through a sacrifice, through uh, their bringing gifts and offerings to the deities, to the gods, to God. And um, we um, see that in the act of sacrifice is the desire to bridge the gap between uh, the known and the unknown, between the physical temporal world and between the, uh, and the uh, immaterial eternal world. As Christians, um, central to us is this idea of the alienation of mankind to God that has been bridged by the perfect sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. And to better understand the sacrificial death of our Savior and what it accomplished for us, we're going to undertake today a series um, looking at the history of sacrifice in the Bible. We're going to seek to understand what it is that Christ did for us uh, in a more meaningful way by looking at, starting today with Cain and Abel, the sacrifices men have made in the Bible and what it is that they were hoping to accomplish and what they were expressing to God through their sacrifice. And uh, we want to look at uh, also the sacrifice that works. The, what, what is it in a sacrifice that... Uh, we desire to attain, and, and uh, what is it that, does, that, that pleases God? What do we intend to accomplish through our offerings? Now, the idea of sacrifice to God is an act of offering something or yielding something of value, the act of surrendering something that costs us something for the hope of gaining something of greater value. I mean, when you think about it, uh, we sacrifice all the time. Every time we go into the store, we're yielding something of value for the hope of receiving something that we value more. And it's the same principle that when we're offering our sacrifices to God is that we're yielding something to God of value to us 
in the hopes of gaining something uh, in return. Now, what is it that we hope to gain, or what is it that men have been seeking to gain through offering sacrifices to God uh, throughout the history of the Bible? Um, There's two things that we see continually in the pattern of sacrifice that men are hoping to attain. One is uh, they're hoping to uh, mitigate their guilt. They're hoping to relieve their shame. They're hoping to pay the price of their sin through some kind of atoning sacrifice. We see this in the idea of a blood sacrifice, a life for uh, the guilt of sin. But also men through sacrifice are hoping to express their gratitude, to express their appreciation for, for all the abundance of what God has done. And in both cases, men are seeking to win God's favor, God's acceptance uh, for, um, in, in exchange for the sacrifice. In fact, the word sacrifice in Hebrew is the word korban. And the word korban comes from the Hebrew root word um, Karav, and it means to draw close to God. The whole history of sacrifice in the Old Testament and the New Testament and communion here this morning is in our desire to draw close to God, to be reconnected with God, to be made unified with that great beyond, with the, with the uh, ultimate unknown, uh, to become, we, we want to know what is unknowable. We want to uh, touch the infinite. Today, we're going to start our series entitled Knocking on Heaven's Door, and the subtitle is A Biblical History of Sacrifice. A Biblical History of Sacrifice. And we're going to begin by looking at this history of sacrifice uh, and the role sacrifice plays in reaching out for God's hand by looking at the first example of sacrifice in the Bible, which is the example of Cain and Abel. Um, What can we learn about what God wants from us through the example of Cain and Abel? What can we learn about what pleases God and what opens up the heart of God, what God favors as we look at the example of Cain's sacrifice versus Abel's sacrifice? This morning's message is entitled, Acceptable Sacrifice. And we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we look at your word this morning, Father, sometimes things can be stated so simply and yet be so deep and so profound. And as I was um, studying this week uh, and the week before, Lord, this the mystery of of the difference between Cain's sacrifice and Abel's sacrifice, I realized the, the many things I'd like to say that couldn't fit in the time frame I have to say them here. But Lord, I do pray, Father, that what, what I do have to say would help enlighten us to the majesty of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf and the necessity of the atonement. Lord, I just pray that you would bless the reading your word this morning and its explanation that we might draw closer to you even in paying attention to your to your truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 4 beginning at verse 1 says this, <clears throat> Adam laid with his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, 
with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the first fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his fat face became and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, "Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, God's saying to Cain, you will you not be accepted?" he asks him. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they are in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Uh, now, as we look at the difference between the sacrifice of Cain and Abel, the first thing that I want to say is there's no evidence here uh, that their sacrifice was a result of something that God required of them. There's no evidence that they were responding to some command of God. Instead, it is an illustration, uh, an example of man's awareness of a need uh, that something is missing in their life. Uh, there was no need for sacrifice. Adam and Eve had no need for sacrificing uh, in the garden prior to the fall. That need was created when there was an estrangement between God and man. When man lost God's favor, suddenly the need uh, to regain God's favor was expressed in this idea of sacrifice. What can I give to God that would please him, that would reunite myself to him? So this, this first sacrifice is a, a recognition on the part of both Cain and Abel of a need to bridge this gap that had been broken in the original sin and um, uh, alienation of man from God. Uh, the historic and universal purpose of sacrifice to God or to the gods, uh, whether you're a pagan or a Hebrew or a Christian, was to gain or regain favor uh, of whatever deity you were making a sacrifice to. In the case of paganism, uh, pagans would view the deities as these, these um, sometimes capricious, not necessarily good, maybe wicked, but capricious, powerful beings that had control in their lives. So they would sacrifice uh, to these deities to try to appease them so that they would uh, have better crops or uh, not be um, uh, harassed by uh, wicked spirits or something that would stop uh, harm from coming from the deities. In the case of, of uh, Christianity or in the case of uh, Judaism, the, these sacrifices were made to a glorious, um, holy, good God. And the two purposes of the biblical sacrifices, as we see and as we'll see as the history unfolds, is one, to make atonement to a holy God, to balance the scales of justice. That's why I chose that question this morning. Uh, what do people mean when they say God is just? Uh, those who... Uh, are informed about the nature of God from a biblical point of view, recognize the justice of God and recognize the need to the balancing of the scales to make atonement, to atone for, to try to, to pay for 
uh, the sins that violates God's goodness, His holiness, that have brought offense to His righteousness. And, and so uh, the, one of the purposes of sacrifice is to, to make this atonement for, for sin. And the other um, purpose for sacrifice is an expression of gratitude, an expression of, uh, of thanksgiving for all that the graciousness and goodness of God has bestowed upon men. So you have this, this impetus within us to try, try to atone for ourselves, but also to, to say thank you to God. Um, the atonement seeks to pay the price to satisfy God's ju- justice for sinful acts that we've done to violate His goodness and alienate ourselves from His favor. Uh, and uh, that atonement opens heaven's doors. What we are attempting to do through sacrifice uh, as man throughout the Bible is to open up heaven's doors, to open up God's doors of favor to us again. Um, And the sacrificial expression of praise and gratitude is what we do to enter into those doors and find ourselves in the favorable presence of the Almighty. One of those sacrifices opens the door to heaven, and the other sacrifice enables us to walk into and be uh, in God's gracious, glorious presence. The historical question of sacrifice is, how do we win God's favor, and how can we cause Him to desire to be with us again? How can we reach into the infinite? How can we hold the hand of the Almighty? How can the unknown become knowable to us? Uh, you know, sacrifice is just something that we know is ingratiating. Um, many of us here have had foreign exchange students have experienced the same thing we have experienced, especially with students from Asia. Uh, oftentimes when these students will come to, into our house as complete strangers, they will typically be bearing some kind of gift. And they'll give us a gift, and the purpose of the gift is to ingratiate themselves to the host. You know... Some of the gifts we've gotten have been great gifts. And some have not lasted that long. I don't know how, how, you know how gifts sometimes disappear. But all of them worked. All of them worked because and expressed an intent of, of the exchange student that they wanted to start out the relationship graciously. And they wanted to ingratiate themselves to their host family. And there was something about the giving of that gift that worked. It worked because it was was understood as an expression of, I want to sacrifice something to you to gain your favor. And um, the question this morning is, is what did God favor about Abel's sacrifice that he did not favor when it came to Cain's sacrifice? And the second question we want to ask is, Why in the heck didn't Cain change when God told him he could change to enter into his favor? Why didn't Cain change when he found out that God desired something different than what he gave? The theme of this morning's message is this. Atonement opens heaven's doors. Let's look at verses 3 through 5 again. In the course of time... Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was angry and and his face was downcast. 
Now, what's the difference uh, between Abel's offering, which won God's approval? Uh, the most obvious difference was uh, Abel brought an animal sacrifice and Cain bought, brought a bloodless uh, vegetable sacrifice. And when you first read this without an understanding of the history of, of uh, s- sacrifice and what it what God desires, it's hard to understand why God would favor one and not favor the other. After all, they both brought what, you know, was particular to their vocation. Uh, Abel brought uh, a, uh, an animal because he was a, uh, a shepherd and, and Cain brought uh, vegetables because he was a farmer. And why wouldn't God just be pleased with both of them bringing uh, from the hand of what they, they do? So the the question is, why was Abel's sacrifice uh, favorable to God and Cain's wasn't? What did Abel know that God wanted? Well, I think the first clue we get is just in the chapter before that, where, where, we, where man fought, fell, where Adam and Eve fell, and they tr- made a covering for the shame of their nakedness out of vegetables, out of leaves, out of vegetation. But God did not see that covering as adequate to cover their shame. And so God himself made clothing, covering uh, from animals. So animals had to die in order to clothe or cover the shame of man. Well, uh, there's something in the sacrificial death of a living thing that is necessary, the shedding of blood that is necessary for an adequate covering uh, to be made for uh, Adam and Eve's sin. And... um, I think that it is Abel that learned something from this, that there needed to be a sacrifice of atonement adequate for the covering of man's shame. Um, Another interesting observation about this passage is made by an 18th century Hebrew scholar named Dr. Benjamin Kennecott. Now, Dr. Benjamin Kennecott, in researching the Hebrew of this passage, uh, mentions something that's not in the NIV translation, it may be in some of the others. Uh, I think it is. But um, it's the word also. Um, here in the Hebrew, it says, Abel also brought. And he says that word also means in addition to the uh, sacrifice that Cain brought, he also brought this uh sacrifice out of his flock. Not only did he bring a sacrifice out of his flock, he brought the fat portion, which men's the very best of his flock, uh, to be sacrificed in addition to, as what Kennecott believes, a vegetable offering that he, he brought in the same manner that Cain brought. So his idea is that, and we wouldn't really necessarily get this from reading the passage, that Abel actually brought two offerings. He brought an offering out of the uh, produce of the ground, and he also brought an offering out of his flock. Now, you know, you wonder, well, is this guy right? Is this correct? Is this a correct understanding of the Hebrew word also, that it means in addition to what Cain brought, he also brought uh, an offering from his flock? Well, we see that idea uh, reinforced when we look at um, a New Testament passage in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, that refers to the sacrifice that Abel brought by faith. And in referring to that sacrifice, it's used, it uses the plural word that we translate in some passages, gifts, gifts or offerings. And so uh, in the New Testament passage, it's talking about um, Abel's offering as offerings or 
gifts, not gift or offering. And so that kind of reinforces uh, Kennecott's idea that Abel brought more than one sacrifice. But whether or not Abel brought plural sacrifices or whether he just brought um, some sheep out of his flock or goat out of his flock, um, uh, it, it, uh, in any event, whether it, he brought both uh, vegetable and blood atonement sacrifices or just a blood sacrifice, it, it's adequate to say that what pleases God is that he brought the kind of sacrifice that would atone for his sins, that would be adequate for covering the sins and please God and open God to his approval. Now, why wouldn't God approve of Cain's sacrifice? There's nothing wrong with bringing a vegetable thank offering to God. Why wouldn't he approve of his sacrifice just like he approved of his brother's? Well, uh, for some reason, my strange and twisted mind, when I was trying to think of an illustration for this, went to the Menendez brother case. Remember the Menendez brothers case? <laughs> How on earth did Pastor go from... Cain and Abel to the Menendez brothers. Well, I want you to imagine things didn't quite work out the way they did in history. In history, these two pampered rich boys uh, slaughtered their parents for an early inheritance. But let's, for the sake of, of uh, this illustration, say that the parents didn't actually die. Let's say they lived. And at some point, these two brothers were trying to regain the favor of their parents and they were each writing a letter to try to regain the favor of their parents. And one of the brothers starts out with, I deserve the full punishment of the law. I deserve more than this life sentence that I've gotten. I am so sorry for what I did. Out of my pampered privilege, I acted in folly, and I took the graciousness of all that you provided to, uh, to me, and I, and I ruined uh, and tried to kill the very one in whom I should have been respecting. I am so sorry, mother and father. I appreciate all that you tried to do for us and all that you provided for us, and I just lay myself before you and ask for your forgiveness. And the other brother writes, thanks, mom and dad, for the good life you provided. Thank you so much for all you gave to me. Thank you for the tuition you provided. Thank you for the car you gave me. Thank you for all that you've given to me. And by the way, uh, if I could, you could hire a new attorney for my next appeal, that would be great too. You know, which one of those letters would be adequate or even would approach being adequate? You can't even open up the door to gratitude without first making atonement. And I think that's what's happening here. Uh, Abel opened up heaven's doors with a blood sacrifice. Nothing means anything. Nothing would mean anything in that Menendez uh, gratitude without first a confession or contrition. Um, there's no way that uh, their parents, if they survived, would be pleased with gratitude without um, uh, reconciliation first. Without an, without an adequate atonement, heaven's doors remain shut. At the heart of our Christian hope, at the heart of our Christian faith, is that there is only one adequate atonement for our sinfulness, and that's the atonement that was made for us through the cross, through, the, through Christ crucified on our behalf.
to come before the Lord without Jesus is like trying to reconcile without um, making any atonement for sin, without balancing the scales of justice in any way. Point number one is atonement opens heaven's doors. I mean, the theme is atonement opens heaven's doors. And point number one is gratitude without atonement is inadequate. The theme is atonement opens heaven's doors. Point number one is that gratitude without atonement is inadequate. Let's take a look at verse five. But on Cain and his offerings, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. It's not like God looked at Cain's offering as though he had offered something wrong. It was just not the essence of what was needed to restore God's favor. Imagine for a second, you uh, were leaving a restaurant. You'd sat down in the restaurant, you'd been served dinner, you've eaten with your family, you've been very pleased with your service, and you decide to leave a, a gracious, large gratuity, bigger than you've ever left before. Say you decide to leave a 50% gratuity for the waitress. And as you're leaving, you think, I left so much of a tip, I really don't need to pay my bill. So you walk out and you're in the parking lot and the manager catches up with you in the parking lot and he says, uh, sir, you didn't pay your bill. That wasn't necessary because I left such a large tip. My vol voluntary gratuity was so high, I didn't think I needed to um, leave uh, what was necessary. And that, that's what, what sacrificing this vegetable is like without making an atonement. The atonement is what's necessary. It's the bill that needs to be paid. And the vegetable sacrifice is an expression of gratitude, a volitional free will expression of gratitude on top of that. Um, the atonement opens the door so that gratitude can become meaningful. But without the atonement, without uh, the atonement, how can... Uh, gratitude be meaningful. How can that tip for that waitress be meaningful unless you first paid the bill? It is only after you paid the bill that the tip becomes meaningful. No matter how big the tip is, uh, be, if you do, don't pay the bill, the tip is not meaningful. If we understand the nature of our Holy Father, nothing is more valuable to us than the blood of Jesus that was shed to atone for our sins. And without Without it, bringing our offerings of gratitude are vain and meaningless and unproductive. On the other hand, once we have entered into his presence, having been atoned for, our gratitude is very meaningful. And he's very pleased with it. Our sacrifices of gratitude are born out of being reconnected to him. Again, the theme this morning is atonement opens heaven's doors. Uh, point number one is gratitude without atonement is inadequate. And point number two is atonement protects us from sin's mastery. Let's take a look at verses six through eight. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, Will you not be accepted? 
But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. God didn't reject Cain. God just wanted to correct Cain. God didn't reject Cain. He just wanted to correct Cain. Uh, you know, he just said, look, Cain, all you have to do is, you know what's right now, just do what is right, and you'll have my favor, just like your brother does, and everything will be fine. You'll still have your, you know, the right of the firstborn, your your standing and status before me will be protected. All you have to do is just, you know, go back and correct your offering and provide the kind of offering that uh, atones for sin and all, and all will be right. But then he warns Cain. He says, you're in danger, my son. You're in danger because if you remain unatoned, if your sin remains unatoned, if you remain in this in, in, unwilling to sacrifice in this in the way your brother did, um, then your sin will gain mastery over you. You will become a slave to your passions. The principle here for us is unatoned sin. If Jesus hadn't atoned for our sin, or if we don't hide our lives under the blood of Christ and receive the atonement of Christ through faith, sin gains mastery over us. We become sins, uh, we become slaves to our desires. And the only way to break that slavery is through the atonement, is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Cain refused to repent after God encouraged him to try again, and it left him in the powerful grip of his jealousy that led him to murder. Cain and Abel, oh, what I'd love you to see, and I hope I can express this briefly, is that Cain and Abel represent the two main religious streams throughout human history. Abel represents the humble contrition of atonement and confession and restoration that comes through Christ Jesus that has been brought to us through the Hebrew uh, sacrificial system that we're going to study that, that teaches us what atonement means. But the other religious systems that uh, include all of the other religions besides uh, Jew, Judaism and Christianity are, are the idea that I'll bring to God what I want to bring. And God better be pleased with what I bring. I will bring my, what I want to bring to God on my terms. I'm going to do what it takes through my own good work to satisfy God and to make him favorable towards me. That is the, that is the main idea behind uh, any of the Eastern religions. It's the main idea behind Islam. It's the main idea behind all religions besides Judaism and Christianity. You see, Cain wasn't concerned about the personal nature of God. Uh, he had no sense of the shame and the guilt that he had offended God, and he had no idea that that needed to be resolved before he might win God's favor. Cain's God was like electricity. And if you listen to Eastern thought, that's what God is like. It's like electricity. Electricity is non-personal. You can't offend electricity. 
If you pay your electric bill, it comes into your house. Whether the, you use it to, uh, to uh, electrify your neighbor or whether you use it to warm your house, it doesn't matter. It doesn't get offended. You can use it for ho however you want to use it and it will still continue to flow because it's impersonal. It doesn't get offended. And uh, that's one idea about the nature of God, that if you just pay your bill, uh, then the, the electricity will flow. If I just do what uh, I need to do, God will, will be in my life. I can control the force however I want. But if God is personal, then his favor must be won by giving him what he wants, by giving him not what we want. Uh, what sacrifice does he want before he receives our free will offerings of gratitude? He wants us to trust and to put our faith in the sacrifice that he has provided for us through Christ Jesus. When we trust in Christ crucified, we uh, loose sin's grip on us. As we approach God, we do so with the confidence and the faith that we have been atoned. We're in the atonement through Christ Jesus. As we approach God, we have that confidence that there is an atonement that is complete once and for all, a sacrifice for all our sins. And our Savior opens the door of heaven for us as we offer our gifts of gratitude and our sacrifices of gratitude to him as we enter in to his holy presence. Again this morning, the theme is atonement opens heaven's door. Point number one is gratitude without atonement is inadequate. And point number two is atonement protects us from sin's mastery. I'd like to conclude this morning by reading from Hebrews 11, chapter 4. I mean, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. Hebrews 11, verse 4 says this, By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he sp still speaks even though he is dead. What it's saying here is the same thing we do when we gain the atonement that has been provided for us through Christ Jesus. Abel did before us. It was by faith, it was by trusting uh, in the atoning sacrifice of the blood that he shed that Abel was uh, offered a better sacrifice. And he shows us that it is by faith, a substitutionary faith in the death of another uh, that has been provided for us through Christ Jesus is really the only adequate sacrifice to atone for the sins of mankind. It's the only thing that balances the scale. It's the only thing that satisfies justice. It's the only thing that releases God's favor. We too say this, the righteous live by faith. Abel was the first to make a public demonstration of this idea that righteousness is by faith. It's by faith in a substitutionary atonement provided by God. Let's pray. I'd like to ask the ushers to come forward that we might have communion. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you and we enter into an ancient faith, a faith that you, just as you provided um, the symbol of atonement, for Abel through the very best of his flock. You have given us the spotless Lamb of God, the incarnate Christ, the Son of the Almighty, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. 
And we have an opportunity this morning to put our faith in that atonement. We uh, recognize that if we offered you all that we are and all that we have, that the scales would not be balanced. But if we put on the other side of our scale, the cross and Christ crucified, the blood that was shed for us, our scales come into balance and we are able to walk into your presence clothed and covered in your righteousness. We are the righteous who live by faith. As we saw from Abel, Abel's sacrifice was by faith and his righteousness was conferred upon him because he had trusted you. And we trust you, Lord. We trust you with this um, transfer of your righteousness onto us as our sin was transferred onto you. Lord, it is a it is a horrible image in my mind when I relive and picture the agony of your son struggling in the Garden of Gethsemane as he was about to receive the chalice of your wrath, the balancing of justice, the punishment of mankind for their evil. Lord, that chalice of of just righteous anger that had accumulated because of man's violation of you and violation of your righteousness. The offense of the historical building up of the offense of all men and all sins, all in one cup to be consumed by a spotless lamb, by by the lamb of God, the incarnate Christ, the one in whom is the only one adequate to balance the scales. How you ever decided to do that, Lord, is beyond me, but you did. You said, not my will, but your will be done. I'm amazed that you loved us enough to balance the scales on our behalf. I don't fully understand it because I am not like you, but to the degree to which I understand it, I recognize your glory. And so, Lord, we just uh, we just now partake together of the broken body of Jesus Christ who was broken that we might be made whole. Lord, the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world was himself so powerful, so mighty, so eternal that the grave could not hold him. That death could not keep him in its grasp. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ is our hope, our hope of glory, our hope that the one who atoned for our sins has the power and the power is in us through Christ to transcend death, to transcend brokenness, to transcend uh, the 
disorder and the evil and the chaos of this world and to find one day ourselves right and in the presence of all that is right and good, alive in Christ through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Your word says you are not the God of the dead, but of the living. And because you're alive, so is Abraham. Because you're alive, so is Moses. Because you're alive, so am I. And so are we. There's power. And the power of the resurrection is in the blood of Jesus Christ. Not only do we see, receive a pardon, but we receive new life. Lord, your love is also at the cross. The gift that is undeserved is also there at the cross. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for all that is wrapped up in the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ, on our behalf. I just pray, Father, that as we go through this series and sacrifices in the Old Testament, that we would grow in appreciation for the atonement that we have received through Christ Jesus. Let us partake of the blood of Christ together. Thank you, Lord, for shedding your blood on our behalf. May your life be in us. We invite you to be with us and desire the power of the resurrection to function in our lives.